Welcome to the Provident Podcast. Provident Expresso is dedicated to providing clients on the go with updates from the investment team. Clients will receive monthly updates from our team of investment specialists as they share the outlook of the market, offer a perspective of the events and trends affecting the economy, the financial markets and our investment management. In this episode, we invite Mr. Daryl Liu, Chief Investment Strategist of Provident, to speak to us. Hello and welcome to the September podcast edition. Uh, basically, today I'll be covering, uh, talking a bit about, uh, providing an update about the economy and then moving on to talk a bit about the equity markets. Um, I think the, the first tidbit of information that I thought was really interesting um, was the fact that I was reading about Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's, who's the, the governor of California, um, and, how, and how he's actually thought about innovative ways to actually solve the budget deficit problem that the state is facing. Uh, he's actually organized the Great Californian Garage Sale, uh, effectively where they've got together all the surplus items uh, within the state of California, housed it together in a, in a, in a warehouse and basically auctioned off these items over, over two days. And effectively, this, this uh, auction raised about 1.5 million US dollars, um, so it was actually deemed to be quite successful. In fact, Arno, uh, Arno Schwarzenegger himself uh, actually autographed a couple of items on sale uh, in, in a bid to actually get higher prices. And the interesting thing was that actually some of the, the potential bidders were turned off by the, by the signatures because effectively they thought that, you know, why should they pay extra premium for his signature scrawled across uh, the items that they were interested in. But whatever the case... Even though this auction was, was deemed to be relatively successful, uh, the amounts that they raised, 1.5 million, is just simply a, uh, just a small drop in the ocean compared to the, the deficits that the state is currently facing. And if you just look at the numbers, um, currently the state of California has a budget deficit of 11.2 billion US dollars, um, and this number is forecasted to actually hit uh, 40 billion by the end of next year. Um, so actually, if you look at this, this 1.5 million that they raised is just a small, small fraction of the amount that they actually need to uh, make up for. Um, in fact, if you look at the other strategies which the state is actually taking, um, they've actually instituted uh, severe budget cuts um, in different sectors. Uh, one of the areas where they are cutting spending is in, in, the, in education, um, mainly from the public school sector, um, where I understand that they're cutting about $6 billion in spending there. Um, the problem, obviously, is that you know you might be trying to solve the current budget def- deficit problems by mortgaging the future of the state, um, because effectively the school term has started in California already, and from news reports that I've been reading, understand that uh, classes now are overcrowded because they're trying to cram more students in per class. Teachers have been forced to take mandatory mandatory days off. Um, uh, university students or college students who are looking to graduate by uh, choosing their electives, uh, elective modules now find that these modules are no longer made available, so they actually have to delay their graduation. So effectively, all all these um, all all these moves, these spending cuts, is is causing big problems uh, within the respective sectors where the cuts are being made, um, and that obviously might might have certain repercussions. And interestingly enough, another area where they're actually making uh, spending cuts is in the in 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 the prison sector, uh, where California faces huge overcrowding, um, and effectively it costs the state quite a lot of money to actually keep these people behind bars. So one of the moves that the, the state has made is actually to release some of these prisoners. So again, 
it's a move that's making me quite uncomfortable. So the next time I, I go to California, I'll be a lot more careful about where I'm actually walking around. Um, and effectively, the reason why I've, I've been sharing these uh, stories about California is that the, the problems that California is facing is not unique to, its, to the state. Um, if you look at the, at the broader picture, the, the whole U.S., for example, um, California is like a microcosm of the problems that the U.S. is facing because the U.S. is facing severe budget deficit issues as well. In fact, just last week, uh, the government agencies came out to make a revision to the estimates of the deficits for the country, uh, where it's expected to hit $1.6 trillion this year. Um, and they've actually forecasted the deficits over the next 10 years. Uh, and this deficit spending, again, is expe expected to hit uh, $9 trillion by the end of uh, 2019. And if you just think about this, these are huge, huge figures. Nowadays, we talk about trillions of dollars like it's nothing, but um, it is a sizable sum. To give you some perspective as well, the deficit spending this year in the U.S. is expected to hit 11.2% of GDP. Um, and and if you look at it from a historical basis, um, the highest highest level that these deficits have hit uh, since in the post-World War II period was just 6% under the Ronald Reagan administration. And again, this just gives you a sense that you know um, the numbers that we're talking about are very, very large compared to history. Um, and effectively, these are issues that I think the, the country will have to grapple with. Um, effectively, the... The, the other issue about this deficit spending is that linking it with uh, last month's issue where we were sharing the concept of the balance sheet recession, one of the things that we were highlighting was the fact that the governments may effectively have to be have to continue to pump in money into the economy for a prolonged period of time because effectively we said that the balance sheets of a lot of consumers and companies have been severely damaged and they won't be able to recover at least in the short term over the next couple of years. So the government spending is quite key that... Uh, that is needed to actually keep the economy chugging along. So if you think about this, if government spending has to continue to be pumped into the economy, um, effectively uh, spending has to remain high. And if their taxes, tax revenues are going to be low because a lot number of people are unemployed, effectively the U.S. is going to face increasingly more pressure on the budget deficit side, meaning to say the budget deficits are likely to increase even further moving forward. And the whole issue here is where do you draw the line and how you actually manage your deficits because uh, every the, the governments all across the world already are already facing pressure from the respective taxpayers about in the sense that you know uh, how how badly they allow their deficits to actually grow too. So I think it's a quite a tenuous problem that uh, governments will have to grapple with, effectively determining whether or not they can continue to keep pumping money into the economy, which uh, we deem a necessity, versus you know how much further spending can they actually afford to make without allowing their deficits uh, to actually grow too large because obviously their investors will be made, will be kicking up a fuss about that um, and this is one of the reasons why increasingly you've been hearing about all these talk about exit strategies though in recent weeks a number of uh, US officials have come out to state that they don't intend to actually withdraw any of these uh, stimulus spending or quantitative easing strategies in the short term um, but effectively, what, what they, they do think is necessary is just simply to discuss how they plan to withdraw it somewhere down the road. So ultimately, I think the, the government officials do recognize that this problem is uh, quite a serious one uh, and where continued spending is required to be made. But obviously, there is going to be repercussions, possibly in the form of rising interest rates, um, which could derail the recovery. Now, 
moving on to a, to a sec, another area in the in the economy, and that's effectively the the issue in the financial sector. Now, if you look at the financial stocks, a lot of the financial stocks have actually recovered pretty nicely. Um, they've they've surged over the past couple of months on the expectation that a number of these banks, for example, have turned things around, have been declaring better profits, for example. Um, but in the background, what, what we've been seeing is that a number of uh, the smaller and regional banks have actually been still failing. Uh, over the last week, the 82nd, 83rd and 84th bank failed this, this year. Um, so the, the FDIC, which is the government agency, which is actually in charge of supervising the banking sector, um, effectively took over these banks. Um, and what they effect- effectively do is that they take over the banks and then they proceed to actually sell off uh, the, the assets of the banks to um, other banks who might be interested in taking over their assets and also potential liabilities. And one of the issues here is that the F- FDIC has seen its uh, insurance fund because effectively they are the ones who are providing the, the insurance on the deposits held at these banks. They've actually seen these, their insurance fund dwindle from about $40 billion uh, just a year or so ago to only $10 billion uh, today. Because effectively, they've had to lock in losses as a result of having to bail out all these banks. Um, And what's more of a concern is that there are a total of over 400 banks currently still standing um, on the FDIC's watch list. Meaning to say, they do expect that hundreds more of these smaller banks will likely fail as well in the months ahead. Um, So effectively, this is an issue uh, which signifies, at least to us, that the worst is not yet over in the financial sector. Um, one of the reasons for this is that there are problems within the commercial mortgage um, mortgage space. Um, all, what we've seen so far within the, the property market is problems in the residential mortgages. Um, and that has blown out spectac- spectacularly with the subprime issues uh, a couple of years ago. But right now what we are seeing is that the commercial mortgages are also starting to fail as companies struggle to actually repay their, their mortgage loans. Um, and because of that, a number of the smaller and regional banks in the U.S. actually have got a bigger exposure to this sector, the commercial mortgages. And because of the problems in the broader economy, um, they are starting to see defaults there. So actually, if you look at the latest numbers coming out there, the commercial mortgage-backed security space, um, the defaults have actually risen to 2.8% uh, last month. And actually, analysts expect uh, these defaults will actually hit 7% by year end. And again, this is an indication there of the potential losses that will have to be locked in or registered uh, by the banking sector uh, who have exposure to this uh, to this area. So again, um, this is just potential issues that we have, we have flagged out. Uh, we'll continue to keep a close eye on these issues, but we do expect further losses to accrue because of uh, these rising defaults and more banks to fail in the months ahead. Um, this, well, in spite of all this gloom and doom in a way, um, what, what we can say also on a positive note is actually that the economic data suggests that we've probably reached the bottom in this economic recession. Um, if you look at the GDP numbers that came out from the US last week, uh, the GDP growth in the second quarter fell by 1% versus the expected 1.5% fall, so it came in better than expected. Manufacturing numbers are also starting to pick up as car- as um, factories uh, start to increase their capacity utilization rates um, because companies are starting to increase their orders again. No doubt the issue about the sustainability of the orders will be always a question mark, but the fact is that is increasing activity going on about in, in the manufacturing sector. Housing data has also picked up a bit uh, in terms of pending sales, in terms of housing prices. 
Though I would just uh, give a word of caution in this area because we do believe that uh, this sector is being propped up by uh, the tax credits which uh, the US government has been giving uh, giving the, the, the potential property owners. They've basically been giving $8,000 worth of tax credits uh, to encourage people to actually buy, buy properties now. Um, and that particular scheme has actually helped increase the number of transactions over the past couple of months and that likely would have provided some support to property prices. Um, the whole is- issue here is whether or not the property market has stabilized already. Uh, in fact, Alan Greenspan has, is of the view that the worst may not yet be over in the, in the property sector. Effectively, we might be going through, a, we might be seeing a period of consolidation and stabilization, but you know, with the potential threat of foreclosures still there on the horizon, we could see further weakness in the property sector moving forward. So uh, I think it's maybe a bit premature to be calling an end in terms of the falls in the property sector at this point in time. Um, besides that, we are also closely monitoring the unemployment rates. Unemployment rate rates globally have continued to inch upwards, but at a slower pace. Uh, the European uh, zone have just announced their, their unemployment rate, and that's hit a high of 9.5%. Uh, certain countries within Europe uh, are facing a lot a lot more problems than other places. In in Spain, for example, unemployment rate is over 18%. In Ireland, it's uh, actually over 12%. Um, so effectively, countries across the world are still grappling with pretty high unemployment rate. In Japan, for example, unemployment rate has hit a 15-year high of 5.7%, which is, which is really bad from the Japanese perspective. Um, so all eyes will be on the next jobs report, which will come out from the US uh, this coming Friday. Uh, we need to look and see whether or not um, the unemployment rate remains stable, whether or not there's, uh, there's a net gain in jobs created rather than a than a continued loss, um, number of jobs which are lost. So effectively, this, this is an important ind- indicator which we will continue looking at because, as I mentioned quite a few times before, we see the unemployment rate globally as a leading indicator in this current market conditions because effectively, if unemployment rate continues to go up, we do expect that a number of other indicators will be affected as well, meaning to say your housing prices will be pushed downwards as foreclosure rates increase, your credit card debt as well will be an issue. Um, so effectively, uh, unemployment rate is really the wild card, I think, at this point in time. Um, we do need to see that start to stabilize first before uh, we can call uh, a sign, or basically before we can see that the economy is starting to recover again. Moving on to the next section now, uh, talking a bit about equity markets. Um, one of the things that we have observed is that equity markets have been extremely volatile over the past couple of weeks, um, mainly because I think it's, it's only understandable after the sharp run-up in, in prices since the bottom in March, um, you know, the people are feeling a bit fatigued, um, they're a bit looking over their shoulder thinking, you know, when whether this current run-up is sustainable or not. You know, so obviously with prices being relatively high, a number of them have started to sell off the minute that uh, certain pieces of negative data starts to come out. And one of the most interesting aspects uh, um, in this current, uh, current market is actually how the China A shares have been performing. 
because China Asia have been one of the main leading um, indices uh, in, in in the recovery, and the China stock market at one time was actually had actually rallied over a hundred percent on a year to date basis. Um, but when you look at at how it's behaved over the past month, uh, a number of investors are actually getting a bit co- a bit concerned because since it hit the peak, uh, its years high on the 4th of August, the Chinese stock market is actually corrected by about 20%. Well, t- depending on when, what day you actually look at the performance numbers, because it's been going up and down. Um, and one of the main issues why the Chinese market has come down is because of the concern that the Chinese government is starting to withdraw a lot of the liquidity in the market at this point in time. Um, the first concerns emerged a couple of weeks ago after following the announcement that uh, the amount of loans granted in China actually hit a high of 1.1 trillion US dollars in the first six months alone. Um, and as a result of that, the, the biggest state-owned banks in China actually came out to announce that they will be slowing down its loan growth, um, effectively to try to prevent the growth of asset bubbles, uh, for example, in the stock markets as well as in the property market. Um, following that announcement, the stock, stock market corrected, you know, because obviously if there's less money going around the system, there's less, uh, there's less potential price appreciation that will happen as well. Um, but since then, there have been increasingly more and more pieces of news which are starting to emerge, uh, which suggests that the government is taking even further steps to actually uh, cool down the, the asset prices in China. Um, just last week, uh, China came out to announce uh, that there's overcapacity in certain commodity sectors, for example, in the steel sector. And as a result, the government is actually going to be slowing down the granting of uh, loans or approvals uh, in this sector, basically re- reducing the amount of resources allocated um, to these sectors where they deem to have, to be, to have uh, overheated a bit uh, or where there's overcapacity. So because of that, again, the, the investing public is believing or believes that, you know, uh, China is starting to, to take money off the table, starting to withdraw their, their stimulative policies, um, and that's caused uh, the Chinese market to correct even further. Um, an- another piece of news as well, um, which, which illustrates this point, is that a couple of Chinese cities are, are starting to or have changed their, their mortgage loan policies uh, over the past couple of months. Uh, effectively, for example, doubling the the amount of down payments that are required for a second property uh, for that, that, that an investor buys uh, from 20% to 40%. Um, effectively, the, the Chinese authorities understand that certain sectors within the Chinese economy have appreciated quite sharply and they're taking steps to actually prevent uh, those, sec- those price rises from getting too far out of control. Uh, but ultimately, all these moves are causing a lot of jitters in the investing in the investing world uh, because effectively they could cause uh, prices to correct and if they do fall um, the question here is you know um, whether or not where the support will come somewhere down the road so in the interesting aspect with the with the correction in the Chinese market is the fact that you know um, that the Chinese Asia market usually is seen as a closed market because effectively foreign investors don't have direct access to the Chinese market generally speaking um, and if you look at it on that basis, um, whether the whether the Chinese market goes up or down isn't really a good barometer of how the global economy is doing. Um, but the interesting aspect is that the correction in the Chinese Asian market this uh, in the month of August 
actually caused a slight ripple effect on the rest of the regional and global markets. Because effectively, I think this goes back to the decoupling story here. The fact that a number of people out there believe that China is really the, the big hope for the rest of the world. And the fact that if the Chinese government is going to be pulling back on its spending um, and the Chinese stock market starts to fall, they're starting to see that as a barometer of the of the strength of the global recovery. And that's this is an interesting trend and an interesting development that we are closely monitoring. Um, but effectively... We don't think that there should be any justification of why a correction in the Chinese market should affect the broader economy. You know, um, So it's just a sign there that I think that the market sentiment is starting to turn a bit more cautious. Um, so they're taking any sign of weakness as an excuse to basically sell off their holdings and lock in their profits that they've made over the past several months. Um, so effectively, I think that this correction in the Chinese market is actually a positive one because prices have gone overshot a bit on the upside. So you're actually giving room for the market to come down a bit to a bit more sustainable levels, um, allow the fundamentals to catch up before we can actually proceed and start rising down down the road. And effectively, the this this correction uh, could could also take hold because now we are entering um, the the worst performing month on a his historical basis. I know that generally speaking, we are long-term investors and we don't really want to time market time the, uh, in terms of trying to pick the best best times to enter the market or, to, or when to exit the market. But the interesting aspect here is that September traditionally seems to be a difficult month for investors. Um, if you look at the data, um, and this is the performance numbers on the S&P 500 on U.S. equities since 1929. So there's a, there's a number of years of data to look at. On average, most months deliver a positive 0.5 performance. Um, but if you just look at the performance for the month of September, most Septembers actually deliver you a negative performance. And on average, it's actually delivered a minus 1.3% return. So, you know, what they say about the September effect, especially as we're coming into this September, um, after a prolonged six-month run-up in equity prices, I think there is a, a, a strong chance of a market correction happening this, this month to, to continue this trend of negative performance for the month, especially so as we're getting to the anniversary of the Lehman collapse as well. Um, as I said, I think the market's getting a bit jittery, looking for excuses to sell off. Um, so I, I do suspect that we might see a 10, perhaps even 15, or even up to 20% correction this month. Um, though, as I said before in previous editions, um, I do believe that there's going to be support on the downside because there's a number, of, there's quite a bit of liquidity still sitting on the sidelines, and we do expect that you know investors are still buying on coming in on dips. Uh, so when they see the prices start to correct a bit, they could be taking advantages to actually accumulate positions. Um, so as a result of 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 our views here, um, we are we actually are not. We haven't made any changes to our portfolios. Uh, our beta strategy still remain invested because ultimately for clients who have got a, at least a 10-year time frame, we are still confident that market prices should be far higher in 10 years' time than they, than they are today. Uh, however, for our alpha investors, because our, of our negative short-term view, we are still remaining defensively positioned. Um, so for those, those portfolios, we are still sitting on cash um, and net neutral positions in some of the asset classes. So that's basically where we stand. Just to summarize again, uh, we believe that uh, the, the economic conditions are starting to improve a bit, pointing towards a sign that we have reached the bottom in the global economy, uh, the global recession. Um, however, we think that the, the recovery will, will still, be, you know, still be affected by a number of risks out there in the horizon place, 
mainly due to the budget deficits that is a continuing issue. Um, other problems also in the financial sector um, and the fact that unemployment rate is still inching upwards and it's likely to remain high for a prolonged period of time. So we believe that the recovery when it comes is likely to be a lot more muted than what people expect. So that before I end this current podcast, um, in, in our quest to continue to innovate and uh, try to fine-tune this uh, recording, um, we, we, we were thinking of actually trying to make this session a bit more interactive. So what we are, what we are requesting for is for all, all you listeners out there um, who, want, who have specific questions that you might want us to address in future editions, uh, to send in your questions to Sherry. Um, and what we will do at, the, at future podcasts is actually to, to address these questions uh, the best that we can. So if we could get all your questions sent in, uh, we'll try to address all these questions at the future editions of, uh, of the Provident Podcast. With that, uh, just like to thank you all for listening in. Until next month, thank you. Thank you.